Hello and welcome to the PLUS podcast. I'm Marianne Freiberger. And I'm Rachel Thomas. This lovely bit of music was created using a software called Visions of Chaos, produced by Softology. It doesn't involve a complicated program, but only some very simple rules governing the sequence of notes. And still, the result is something that sounds complex and highly organized. In this podcast, we explore the phenomenon that is linked to the musical complexity we just listened to. We will explore the concept of emergence. And we will also find out how to model the behavior of crowds of that most complex of all animals, us. And we'll explore some maths in one minute. The idea of emergence has become quite famous now in mainstream culture, but for me at least, it still has a slightly magical and mystical ring to it. At last year's Heidelberg Laureate Forum, we met a good friend of PLUS, Chris Budd, who is a professor of applied mathematics at the University of Bath. And we asked him to explain what emergence is using the example of a flock of birds. Well, let's talk about emergent behavior and what it means. So if you have birds, when they are in a flock, they typically interact with their nearest neighbors and have certain rules for doing that. So they may want to fly in the same general direction. They may not want to fly too close. They may want to um, clump together to protect themselves against predators. What emergent behavior is where you have a large number of birds, each of which are making small decisions about what's happening close to them. And then that emerges as large-scale behavior of the whole flock. So if you see starlings, then they tend to fly almost as a single organism with the whole flock making collective decisions. And they're not making collective decisions, it's individual decisions which all interact with each other. Flocks of starlings really are a beautiful example of emergence. If you've ever seen a flock swooping in the sky, it does look like a single organism following some sort of directed performance, but it's not. It's a multitude of individual birds, each making simple decisions about where and how to fly. But as Chris says, there's also many other examples of emergence. Well, you see very similar sorts of behaviour in many other uh, animal species, uh, both from very small slime mould up to the very, very large. Um, You see it in uh, shoals of fish. Um, Emergent behaviour is is seen in in patterns whenever we see them in nature, in crystals. Uh, If I look up in the sky and see beautiful cloud patterns, that's an emergent behaviour. Arguably, evolution is is an emergent type of behaviour. And if if you want to go very, very large, you start, you see it in the structure you get for galaxies or possibly even the universe. So how does it come about in things like the galaxy or the structure of the universe? So in the galaxy, you have the individual interactions between stars or whatever uh, through gravity, and collectively that builds up into these beautiful spiral structures that you see. So a spiral is a very simple shape. You know, mathematically, it's got a nice simple formula, and that has emerged from the interactions of millions, billions or whatever, of stars all interacting through gravity. So a simple structure has emerged from a large number of interactions. 
when we talk about the universe, well, galaxies are just part of a much bigger structure, which again um, is organised in, in certain ways. mathematics too there are interesting examples of um, emergent phenomena so for example if you take a finite list of positive integers such as one two three four five six um, then no matter how large these integers might be they will not possess the same sort of qualitative properties as an infinite list of integers so for example if you have an infinite list of integers and you add one to it, you still get infinity. Infinity plus one is infinity. Or you might subtract an infinite set of number from an infinite set and you still have an infinite set. So if you take all the positive integers and you subtract the even ones, you still have all the odd ones and that's still infinite. So infinity minus infinity can be infinity. So what this shows us is that the whole is somehow bigger than the sum of its parts. It possesses emergent features that are qualitatively different to those of its parts. There's other really interesting examples of emergence in mathematics from something we're quite familiar with, which is the structures of sort of mathematical surfaces. So if you think about the famous Mobius strip, you take a flat piece of paper, you cut a strip. If you join the ends together, you get a cylinder. If you take the same strip, put one twist in it and join the ends together, then you get a Mobius strip. Now, locally, if you're an ant on the surface of either of those, they would seem exactly the same. They'd seem just like as if they're on the flat piece of paper. But if you look at globally, the structure that emerges is really quite different. A Mobius strip only has one side, a cylinder has two sides. And the same thing happens if you look at the surface of a sphere or the surface of a donut. They both locally seem flat, but it's only when you zoom out globally that you see they're fundamentally different structures. So the structure of that space only emerges when you consider the whole space as opposed to the behaviour locally. So going back to the examples of emergent phenomena in nature, like amazing patterns on animals or spiral galaxies and things, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. How do we actually know that there isn't some sort of external mechanism that directs the birds in a flock of starlings or even the stars in a galaxy? So there are ideas, so-called theories, such as intelligent design, for example, which sort of suggests that the very fact that nature is producing such amazing and complex patterns is evidence that some sort of intelligent being has created them. So it's kind of evidence for the existence of a god. It turns out, however, that there's proof for the fact that complex and highly organized behavior really can emerge from simple rules. That's because you can build mathematical mechanisms, systems that follow very simple mathematical rules, and then watch how organized behavior emerges. Here is Chris again talking about the small decisions made by individual birds in a flock. So what you do is you study the small decisions and then you build mathematical models where those small decisions are built into what we call agent-based models for the interactions. And then you basically let those models run and you, you watch what happens and see how the behaviour starts to self-organise. 
And if you get some idea what that behavior is, then it, you can actually try to um, write mathematical models of that and, and show that they're stable and will persist. Chris talked about using something called agent-based models to model the collective behavior of birds or other agents. And we asked him how those agent-based models actually work. So in an agent-based model, each bird will be an agent. So that is an object which has certain rules of behavior and those rules of behavior govern its motion. So the bird would sense around what the other birds are doing and then would fly in a particular direction at a particular speed, and that is an agent. The, the mathematics behind this is largely the mathematics of differential equations, where the speed and direction of the bird are described by differential equations, and <clears throat> the parameters of those equations are related to the what's going on near it. So in an agent-based model, you might take a large number of birds, maybe 500,000 birds, so that represents 500 differential, differential equations, which are all then coupled with each other. Of course, birds are the only animals that like to congregate in large groups. Another animal that has a tendency to do that is us. There are many reasons why you might want to simulate the behaviour of a crowd using a mathematical model. Perhaps when you're designing a sports stadium or a train station or the layout of an airport, you want to make sure that crowds can move around smoothly and are able to exit the building quickly in the case of fire or a terrorist attack. Even the movie industry has use for such models when large crowds are created using CGI. And as Chris explains, modelling the behaviour of crowds isn't all that different from modelling the behaviour of flocks of birds. So humans in a crowd are a bit like birds in a flock in that we interact with our neighbours. Um, so I might have a rule that I want to be close to my family. I don't want to be too close to other people. I certainly don't want to walk into brick walls. So these are rules of behaviour. What is different between me and a bird is that I have some other types of behaviour, so I can read signs, and I may have some ultimate goal that I want to exit through a certain door. So we produce models of crowds where we build in both this intelligence, I want to go somewhere type intelligence, um, uh, combined with the local behaviour that I don't want to bump into people. And if you put all this together, then you can start to describe the motion of people in crowds. And people have developed quite sophisticated models for this, which work pretty well. Some of the fundamental work on the dynamics of crowds has been done by the Swiss mathematician and sociologist Dirk Helbing and his group. Helbing makes five assumptions about the motion of people in a crowd. The first is they have some sort of overall goal, which might be to exit a building or perhaps following some signage. They cannot walk through walls or other solid obstacles. They have an individual view or perhaps a cultural view on how close they might want to get to other strangers. They will want to be close to family or friends. And the last assumption is that they will have a certain amount of randomness in their movements. The crowd can then be modelled as a set of agents satisfying differential equations for their movement and what Helbing called a social force model for their interactions. 
In this social force model, every agent feels an attractive force pulling them towards some goal, which might be the exit of the building, or to walk in a particular direction at a particular speed. Each agent also feels a repulsive force that emanates from obstacles such as walls or poles or pillars. And between any two specific agents, there's an attractive or a repulsive force causing them to either draw nearer to one another or stay away from each other. Using these assumptions, you can set up a model to represent the situation you're interested in modelling and then let it run to see the behaviour of the crowd emerge. And although we are dealing with that most complex of all things, human behaviour, the crowd models do quite a good job in predicting the actual behaviour of crowds, and they've now been well tested in many experiments. You can find out a little more detail about these kind of models on plus.maths.org, searching for the dynamic of crowds. We've now come to the point in the podcast where we explore some maths in one minute. At the beginning of the podcast, we said that the music we were listening to was produced by a computer using only some very simple rules. In fact, the music was created using something called a cellular automaton. Now, cellular automata are a prime example of how highly organized, really complex behavior can emerge from really simple rules. So, Marianne, I challenge you to explain what a cellular automaton is in just one minute. Well, a cellular automaton really is a visual object, but I'll do my best to explain it in words only. So in the example that I'm going to explain, it's about building up a grid of squares row by row. You start with one row of squares, which can either be black or white. Now imagine placing another row of squares beneath it. And in the second row, the color of each square, whether it's black or white, will depend on the color of the square right above it and the color of the two squares on either side of the square right above it. So, for example, a rule that tells you what color a square is might be that if the square right above it is black and exactly one of the two squares either side of that square is also black, then our square in question will be black too. Using rules like this, the squares in your second row have now been colored in. You then go on to create a third row using the same rules and then a fourth one, etc., until you get tired or your computer runs out of memory. Once you have enough rows, the individual squares act a bit like pixels on a screen, together forming some sort of a pattern or picture. The pattern could of course be boring, for example just consisting of vertical stripes, or it could be completely random. And whether that happens or not depends on the rules you have chosen for colouring in your squares. But sometimes, depending on the rules, the pattern is amazingly complex or beautiful, mimicking patterns you find in nature, for example, um, patterns on seashells or on animal skins. Now, what we have just described is the simplest form of a cellular automaton, but there are also other versions, for example, starting with a grid of square rather than just a line, so that the rules give you a new 2D grid, or using hexagons instead of squares, or even cubes instead of squares. Nice! Well done for explaining a very visual concept without the help of pictures in just one minute. Some very famous examples of cellular automata that you might be aware of come from something called the Game of Life, developed by the famous mathematician John Conway. You can find out more about this on plus.maths.org, searching for Game of Life. To create the music from a cellular automaton, you need to find some way of mapping the squares with particular colours to musical notes, 
or if you want to create rhythm to drum beats. There are various ways you could think of to do this and in the end you get a piece of music that in essence has been generated by the rules governing that original cellular automaton. And this is how the beautiful piece of music we've been listening to in this podcast was produced from a cellular automaton and the particular one used is called a nearest neighbour cellular automaton and it was discovered by Wentian Lee. The music was created using Visions of Chaos produced by Softology and you can find out more about that on softology.com.au. And to find out more about Cellular Automata and everything else we have talked about in this podcast, go to plus.maths.org. We hope that you're emerging from this podcast with a sense of happiness and satisfaction. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.